the Entrepreneur Adventure, giving entrepreneurs the tools to climb higher and faster than ever before. So we are back for another episode of the Entrepreneur Adventure podcast. And on this episode, which is awesome, I don't have a co-host. I have an interviewee. You're being interviewed today, Mr. Chad Brown, the serial CFO. And we're going to get down to the truth, man. We're going to find out what you've been involved in, you know, if it's legal or not, word on the street. No, I'm just kidding. We, people don't know. You're, they know you as an entrepreneur. They know you as someone who is a CFO and an accountant. But they don't know all the things you're involved in, have been involved in, and you have pretty crazy entrepreneur adventure. Well, I'm relieved to know I'm not a co-host because I was really worried about asking myself questions. I just know a lot more that should be asked than probably you do. So I, I can probably diffuse uh, <laughs> a lot of things I don't want to answer now that I know I'm a guest and not a co-host. So I'm here, man. I'm an open book. Uh, you ask me uh, whatever you want to know, we'll take this whatever direction that uh, we think our viewers and uh, our listeners will find the most value in. And um, I, I do agree. Uh, sometimes uh, even my own family asks me what I do or what all I'm involved in. So it, it can seem like a bit of a mystery. So I'm going to ask you this question, and this isn't one for you to answer right now. This is one for as we talk, because you're going to have to do some math. Now, I know you're good at math. Let's hope you're good at math, which should be good for your job. But it's how many businesses you've actually had ownership in in your whole career. I know you don't know the answer off the top of your head. Let's see if the answer comes to you at some point. I know the answer off the top of my head. Do you really? But there's only one reason I know it. Okay, let's talk. Let's, this is a great start. I guess this kind of speaks to my personality in some of the direction of this podcast. I had back in the early, uh, uh, the first week of November, I guess, uh, I had an idea of a different direction I wanted to go with a new business and a new platform. And part of that was based on my history and experiences through owning businesses and buying and selling businesses. So I sat down the first week in November and figured out how many businesses I've owned over the course of the last 20 years. Okay. And the magic number is? 22. 22 businesses that you've either owned outright or had partnership in. Uh, that's it. 22. 22 businesses. All right. Tell us briefly, just go through the industries that you've been in. Because it's not just, they're all been in, some people have four businesses and they're all around real estate. Yours hasn't been like that. It has not. It has been uh, a bit scattered. Most of it is in the service industry uh, type model. That's where a lot of my experience uh, and a lot of the things I've owned or, or started has been a part of. That's the industry I know better than anything else is that service industry model. Um, of course, the cleaning company, uh, multiple tax offices and accounting offices. There's a landscape company. There's an emergency service company. There's a construction company. Um there is a random chicken farm there. Uh, now we have an online retail uh, sign business. It's kind of a manufacturer and a sales part of that component of the sign business. There was at one point uh, a couple used car dealerships. There was a title pond at one point. Um, it's a masonry business or something like that? It was like a that. masonry business, okay. yeah. Um, a couple carpet. businesses around construction. Um, yeah, carpet cleaning or something too. Carpet right? cleaning business, that's right. That's how I got started in the cleaning industry was the carpet cleaning business. While I know I sat down at that time uh, a couple months ago and, and figured out there was 22 businesses that uh, I had had ownership in and, and a part of growing, I do not have them written in front of me, so I probably can't name them all. <laughs> that's the funny thing about it is that people – I know that I've asked you before, probably a couple years ago – Hey man, how many businesses do you have right now? 
and you didn't know the answer off the top of your head. You're like, I think I have seven maybe. And I could see you actually starting to think about it. I could see you counting the businesses in your head because you didn't know how many businesses I you I should have. be a little better about knowing what I have. And I'm trying to get there. Um, funny story, uh, when Lauren and I uh, met uh, back, at, I guess now 12, 13 years ago, and uh, got married and uh, we uh, we were in the house one day and she was up in upstairs in my office doing something. And she... As a nine-to-five job, she knows what I do but doesn't quite know what all I do, especially at the time because I have my hands in different things. And some things I talk about at home, some things I do not. And uh, she was doing something in the office upstairs, and there was like 11 business cards from some business I'd had over the last five years. Didn't have all those 11 businesses at the time. But she, she came downstairs, and she was like, is there more I need to know? Like, what all do you do? So, I hope Lauren listens to this podcast. She's going to find out some things about you on this episode that she doesn't know. She probably will not. She's going to listen to this one. <laughs> I hope she does. We'll see. This one's going to be sponsored by your sign company, which she's a partner in, so that she'll have to have, she's going to have to listen to it. Fair enough. She's scared to listen. She don't want to know the truth. Business y'all. obligation. Uh, Business obligation. That's, that's right. right. Put it on the do list for 2020. So let's go. I want to hear your story, man. So you, you didn't grow up in like this big entrepreneurial family where everybody owned their own businesses, right? Absolutely not. Um, I grew up small town, South Georgia, a uh, really small I grew up uh, in an environment where my dad was a PE teacher and football coach. Uh, my mom actually was more the entrepreneur side. And just the fact that not that she was growing a huge business, she just worked really hard and she uh, had her own uh, hair salon. So uh, she would have her own hair salon. She managed her own business, had a couple people that worked with her or, or rented positions from her and kind of worked in the product side and the service side. and. I wasn't really exposed to that from a behind the scenes uh, side. So I guess internally that made an impact on me, but it, it wasn't like I was learning business or I was involved in and interested in what my mom was doing from an entrepreneur standpoint. I was just doing what I do and going to school and they were making me do my homework and never knew I wanted to be a business owner never knew that um, that's something I wanted to pursue. Um, I knew I wanted to go to college. I knew that was a big deal to my parents and to me, uh, but never thought I would own a business, never thought I would go to that direction. But on the other side, I was always just internally, the way I'm wired, a bit of a hustler. I was, I mean, there are stories my parents tell now, and, and I distinctly remember uh, I would get a dollar from my parents for doing a chore or something when I was in probably second or third grade. We'd stop by the store on the way to school, and I'd buy like 30 pieces of bubble gum with my dollar. And I'd go to school and sell them for like three times that. So the next day, I'd have $3. Okay. And so I was hustling bubble gum in like third grade, and then that went to like ice creams at one point. And then in high school, I would buy and sell speakers and tires and rims and random stuff. So I've always... I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit, but it was more so to get what I wanted. I would always have an end goal. There's something I wanted to buy, something material at the end, and I needed X amount of dollars, and I would craft out a way to get there. And didn't realize at the time, but looking back on it, I've always just kind of been wired the same way in that transition to college and, and into business. And probably the biggest, most impactful thing that could have happened to me from this gets into the legal side. Um, I've never told anybody this story. Probably. First lawsuits here. We're like boy, three minutes we're in, man. The first quit. lawsuits are already here. Plan to go here. Got a little coffee in me. I'm in a good mood. Um, 
my sophomore year in college, I became friends with a guy that uh, had a lot of experience in football betting and gambling. And we rented an apartment we could not afford and bought a lot of nice furniture we could not afford and decided we were going to pay for it by being bookies. And so I got exposed. He had some knowledge and experience here. He was much, he was a couple years older than I was. And we started, we had a, several friends that liked to bet on football games. And instead of them betting with other people, we started taking that um, in-house and running it out of our apartment. And we may need to edit all of this. So we're, you had your first. I got to do a little research before we publish this. Um, this was I live. think we're past the statute of limitations. <laughs> we're talking like 1999, but I don't know. So obviously, I am motivated by money. I'm a numbers guy. I'm an accountant. I like football. We had a four bedroom apartment with just the two of us with big screen TVs back in 1999. Like this was like my dream. I was sold. And it was awesome. And that exposed me to like the real business side of how to do something. Oh, because and you like, have now, this isn't now where you're making, you're selling ice cream and selling candy in elementary school. You got a dollar invested in and there's no ongoing expenses, right? You're selling your inventory, but this ain't the same story. Man, we're building systems. We got phone systems set up. Uh, we're hustling it on the weekend, having a good time and making real money and everybody's happy. How'd you buy the stuff? Did you buy the stuff on credit or did you guys actually pay cash for whatever it is that you have? Oh no, back, I don't know, you make him do this now. You could go buy furniture, like zero down, okay, 100% sure. financing, start paying January 1, 2001. Yeah. I mean, you could like buy it for like two years buffer. I legitimately know someone who had their couch repoed. <laughs> <laughs> we did not have anything repoed. Um, that's actually... Uh, uh, illegal, uh, while it may be, is a very profitable business. Um, uh, we never had to engage in anything forceful or anything questionable. Um, what I learned is people that like to bet on football games really like to bet on football games. And they can't bet unless they pay you from the previous okay. week. So the house always wins, though. The house always wins. The house won. The four-bedroom apartment won consistently. Ten percent cut. So that that is what happens. You don't you don't really care if people win or lose. You're getting a ten percent cut every time, and that's where the money happens. Look at that! You guys didn't sign up for that small nugget, and not to um, not to to spoil the outcome, I guess. But we probably won't get to do this otherwise. Um, my roommate at the time, several years later serve some prison time. He may still be in prison. I don't know. I haven't talked to him in 15 years. Uh, but he continued the path of illegal activity, and luckily I pivoted and went into the business world. Okay, so, uh, so you got off that train. I did. It was a, it was a one-year stint. I loved it. Had a blast. Learned so much. It taught me so much about business and, like, how to go get stuff and how to build stuff. And it was – it really, like, probably had a bigger impact than my – two or three years in the accounting program at UGA. And just so our listening audience knows, I had no knowledge of what you just shared with me. I don't know that I've ever shared that with anyone. <laughs> so why share it with anybody when you can share it with everybody? That's right. That's awesome. So yeah, I didn't know that at all. So it's almost, it would feel like when I introed this with 
illegal activity that I was staging that story. And that was not <laughs> the case. No idea that happened. That also goes into our next lesson, which is be careful who you go into business with. You don't know if they may be a wanted felon. You need to do a background check. I didn't do one. Now it's not too late. So your first taste of, let's say, true entrepreneurship, because that really was. And by the way, you say the candy story, too. I did the exact same thing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yes. So you and I have been business partners now for uh, for seven or eight years, and we have the same kind of start. Like, I was, I was buying. Here's what I was selling. My number one seller back in the day was Crybabies. Remember the gum that turned sour? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was it, man. It was, it was all the rage, and I would stop and buy it, invest my money come flip it, you know, buy it for a nickel, sell it for a quarter. Because when you're in school, it's like Six Flags, man. There's a limited market. Absolutely. Right. You can't buy it anywhere else. That's and, right. And, and even, I mean, in South Georgia, you barely even chew gum at school anyway. We had all these rules. So I'll tell you another funny story there. Um, that since we share some uh, entrepreneur adventure at an early age. Yeah, I would buy the one piece, just one single wrapped up. Yeah. I think it's blue and yellow wrapped gum. I don't even know the name of it. It's hard and terrible. I don't know buy it, but... I was like tripling my money on it, but I had this one guy, this bully. We ended up becoming friends later on in, in school, but at the time he was a huge bully and uh, just I was a little skinny kid with scrawny legs and running a little slow, so I was screwed. <laughs> so he'd like start trying to beat me up for bubble gum or like want some bubble gum, and I didn't have much of a defensive uh, mechanism at the time, and it was cutting into my profits. So I would take two pieces of gum and soak them in Tabasco overnight. And I would keep my gum I sold in my left pocket and my gum for him in my right pocket. So I saw that uh, little obstacle early on in my business. Uh, we, we still laugh about that. I saw him at a high school reunion uh, a year ago, and we talked about that story. Me and you write a book together, man. It's the E-Myth for Kids. <laughs> Your first business system was how to ward off the, the government, uh, the bullies. I got shut down by the government in my business. Where I was selling candy out of a brown bag at school. And like, you can't do that. stories I have not heard. I need to hear this government shutdown story. Oh, that was it. The government was the school, man. Oh, okay. The got it. Yeah. The principal came and said, you can't sell candy at school. You know. Oh, you just wasn't slick enough then. Okay. I was carrying it in a brown bag. I thought it was a good cover. Apparently not. I wish I had that Tabasco sauce story. That's pretty... You're a savvy young man. You might have been slow and skinny when you are savvy, so you made up for it. So, yeah, then getting into college, you're into this, quote-unquote, you guys can't see my finger quotes, business, and you learned a lot from it. That's right. And then you learned how to get out. That's right. Right? So that's awesome. So then you, you, for whatever reason, chose to study accounting in school. Now, tell me about that. What what made you choose the major that you chose? Um, I did not go into school for accounting. Uh, I went in, um, like a lot of people at the time, like in the education side. Uh, I was... Had no idea what I wanted to do, but I knew it was easier to get in UGA as a freshman uh, going into the, I don't remember what the technical name was, but it was going into education, going into some part of a teaching degree. And um, so I got in school and I knew I wanted to transfer out of that, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then I learned at some point my freshman year, I was not, I was very social. Grew up in a small town in South Georgia. Um... Uh, somewhat of a dry county, uh, no restaurants, nowhere to go, nothing to do but really ride dirt roads. Athens was like the social um, light I'd been looking for my whole life. So I was very social, done a lot of networking my freshman year. I didn't necessarily focus intently on grades, uh, but I did figure out uh, in my first semester that if you get into the business school, you don't have to take organic chemistry or a foreign language. And I was sold. Business school, here we come. So I transferred over to the business school. 
still had no idea I was interested in business or what I wanted to do there. Yeah, so just path of least resistance. Oh, you absolutely. You're avoiding yeah. something else, and that's what led you sure. to absolutely. down the path at least. That, that's right. And then I was always good with numbers. Uh, that was always uh, something that came easy for me. I like the black and white side of numbers, and and there's just no uh, really room for anything to be subjective. It's either right or wrong, and that fits my personality. But I still didn't put it all together. Um, we were down at the beach at St. Simon's on Memorial Day. I think I was a freshman or sophomore in college. And there was this guy that was friends with my dad, and he went to Atlanta and uh, worked with Ernst & Young and worked his way up. And, I mean, this dude just, he had the look and the life that I'm like, that's what I want. Um, he had the attractive wife. He had the convertible Mercedes. They were staying in the nice places. He just carried himself well. He was smart. He was confident. And he was an accountant or CPA with Ernst & Young. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And solely because of that, uh, just uh, life of what he like he was living or who he was, that made me want to go back and change over in the business school and focus on accounting. Because I was just I think I was in the business school, but I hadn't declared a major. It was a little different back then, I think, than it is now. And so I went in and I declared accounting, and there it was. That's so cool, man. There's a there's a huge principle that's there, too, in what you did. So I asked this person earlier at lunch today what their plan was. Like, hey, what's, you're in school. What do you want to do? And she said, I have no idea. So it's not that you wanted to do accounting. Even though you're good with numbers, no, you're in the business all. school. You just saw someone who had the life that you wanted. That's it. So – because of that, you're like, okay, this guy's got the life that I want. So you're able to define, I want what this guy's got. What does he do? He's an accountant. All right, I'm going to go learn. So define what you want. I'm going to learn to do the same thing this guy's doing. And then you're able to do it, right? Like, okay, sure. now I've learned it. I'm doing it. And it's led you into this entrepreneur adventure that you're on. So that's awesome. So then you, all right, so you're on the road to being an accountant. Yeah, and that's how you got there. Kind of fast forward and, and run through this next part really quick because it's not very entertaining. But uh, fast forward a year or two later, I actually got an internship that summer with Ernst & Young where he works. Um, it was a summer leadership program. I uh, went in uh, because of him, was able to get my foot in the door, um, figured out that is not what I wanted at all. Uh, the environment of living in Atlanta, working in Atlanta, making that commute. I'd actually also got a job with a client of theirs and I was driving from Stone Mountain into town every day uh, that summer. And uh, it was a great experience, great learning opportunity for me. But I, I quickly learned I don't want to live in Atlanta and I don't want to do like big, I think it's big five at the time, accounting. That's not the, the life I want. I love Athens. I'm trying to find a way to stay in Athens. And um, came back to Athens, uh, decided I needed to figure out what direction of accounting I wanted to go and what my options were here. I needed to expose myself to more. Got the phone book, wrote down uh, 10 to 15 tax and CPA offices. And this was back before cell phones and internet. And Well, internet was around, but it just wasn't as popular. And it was dial-up. 2000. That's yeah, it right. was making a noise. Um, so I got in my car and I went to each place. And my second stop, they tried to hire me full-time when I was still in college. And I was like, this is crazy. I don't want a full-time job, but they needed somebody really bad. My third stop was here where we're going this podcast at, the tax shelter. And it was December, and um, Ken and his dad said, okay, we need somebody for tax season. We need somebody to kind of work the front desk and do some behind-the-scenes stuff with our software and tax returns. Um, you come on, 
come learn. We'll give you a job for four months during tax season. And if there's something after that, then you'll stay home part-time and, you know, just be kind of be an intern here. Um, I don't think it's anything that uh, had been in place before. So it's kind of position crafted out to, for me to learn and me to see the tax side and also provide some value during tax season. So that's where I landed uh, for a temporary job as I finished out my last couple of years in college and graduated, interviewed with a, uh, the largest firm here in town and uh came back was discussing my options and uh ken said all right let's figure out a way to keep you here and we come up with an option and i stayed with the tax shelter and fast forward 20 years still here kind of work my way up uh to a partner status ken and our business partners and most everything we do now and uh from a tax standpoint uh in, in our office here, so uh, it, it worked out really well. So when you took the job, the tax shelter, were, were you taking the job with the idea that you were going to start your own business, or were you just thinking, or were you thinking far ahead? Were you just thinking, I need a job, I just graduated? Like, tell me about where you were when you took the job here. was definitely not thinking about owning my own business. Uh, that was nowhere in my mind at the time. I was looking to learn the tax side of uh, being an accountant or being a CPA is, uh, I, okay, I've went and worked in Atlanta. I've done an internship. I know the auditing side. I see that. I see what I don't want. Let me learn some more. Let me see what else exists out here. And also too, I just needed a job. I needed, uh, something to make a little money and I needed something for my resume. Um, I knew I needed more and, uh, the kind of rest is history. Okay, so you had the idea as well then. It's another principle you bring up. That thinks we think of Robert Kiyosaki talks about this. Would you specifically for people early in their careers, he says don't work to earn, meaning don't find the highest paying job as soon as you get done with school and chase it down. Don't work to earn, work to learn. Absolutely. So for you, you needed to earn something, right? You needed to make some sure. money, but you could have got higher paying jobs elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You had an idea of, all right, I need a job, but also there's some things I want to learn to start my career. And that's helped you lead you helped lead you to the tax shelter. So now you're at the tax shelter, you're working, you're getting started. Where does the entrepreneur adventure kick back up? Here's where I think it kicks back up. And this is, I think if it, if it wasn't for my position uh, in the tax side and focusing on that, it 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 might not have ever spiraled uh, as fast as it did from the entrepreneur standpoint. Uh, two things happened there. We work really hard during tax season. We put in 70, 75 hours a week during tax season. So I would get in the mentality and, and get geared up to work during tax season. And then at April 15th, it's like a switch. It changes. And especially back then, we were more heavily taxed than accounting. I would go from working 75 hours a week to all of a sudden having 20 hours a week work. And I just geared up and was mentally and physically conditioned to work 75 hours a week. So I would come out of tax season staring at the wall and it would drive me crazy. So I started looking for other ways to do things and other things to more occupy my time and make a little bit of money um, outside of tax season. So that was probably the biggest factor is I just needed something to occupy my mind and my desire to to work and to do stuff. And uh, it wasn't fulfilled or occupied through my job because we were primarily tax based and a lot of my workload was done, which was awesome. Uh, the other side is two other sides of that is I would get a 
big bonus check on April 15th. And I had carved out my living expenses where I could survive and afford everything I needed to from just my hourly or salary pay and my tax season bonus was just extra money. So I had extra money to go do other things or invest in other businesses or buy a couple of cars and sell them or whatever I was trying to do or hustle at the time. Um, so I had the extra funds to do it because of tax season. I had the extra time to do it and the work ethic to do it because of tax season. And then also I had Ken and his dad who I don't know why at the time I had no idea what I was doing, uh, but they just trusted me with decisions and would support me in support me from a leadership standpoint and from a financial standpoint if I had an idea, if I thought we should go invest in this rental house or if we should do this office in another town or or we should start a title pond business because we got a client in Conyers that does it and he does it really well. There, there were some there were things that they allowed me to do with time, support, and money that allowed me to I didn't have a whole lot of money, but I had time and I had ideas and I had work ethic. So I was able to couple that with their support and some financial side um, and help from, from their end to, to spiral some things a lot quicker than I ordinarily would have. So you mentioned when you're in school, a lot of the hustling that you're doing, just flipping stuff, whether it's like you said, rims or wheels or tires or whatever it may have been in high school and college, you do you get into the... Uh, you created your own apartment gambling ring, which is awesome. I think it's that's really funny. After you stopped that, were you still hustling and doing stuff on the side randomly like you were doing? Were you finding something to flip and you know, buy it, buy low, sell high, that type of thing still? Or did that stop? No, I did. Um, I just had, I had, and I still have this, I have a desire to learn stuff, which, I, which is I'm so grateful for. I'm so thankful for. It's just my personality. So that coupled with my, I want to learn something and then I want something at the end, and you couple those together. I'll give you a couple of examples. I I grew up in South Georgia, a lot of agriculture, so I got to Athens, and I just I'm interested in tractors, and I wanted to learn more about tractors. And I saw an opportunity to buy a tractor. I had no idea how to drive this tractor. I had no idea what I was doing, but I, I bought this tractor off some government auction site because it was a good deal. So it gave me an opportunity to have my own tractor to learn how to drive and work on and do things and clean it up. And I'd sold that tractor and I used that money to buy another tractor. Yeah. And then I, that tractor went to a backhoe and I'd never been on a backhoe in my whole life. And it just... Is this when you're in college or this is when you're already at this the This is right after college. Okay, right yeah. after college. Right you after buy a tractor. College. Everybody gets out of college. The first thing they want to do is they yeah. want to buy a used tractor from a government auction site. That's what all college grads do. You, you decided to buy a tractor. Now, where were you living? Do you have a house? I was actually living in a trailer at the time. Okay, so you're living in a trailer. So you I have mean, a place to park your tractor. Yes and no. The trailer park's pretty strict. You can't park <laughs> a lot of vehicles. Where there. you can park your tractor. So, right? so that was, I had to, I had to, actually, we had a storage building we were storing tax returns in that we ran out of room. So we rented a little bigger storage place. And I could park my little side hustles and stuff there. So so I got into the tractor business. That went on for probably 10 years of buying and flipping tractors and backhoes and equipment and things. Um, again, most of the stuff I would buy, I'd want to learn how to use it and operate it. I'd use it. I'd, people would hire me to do some jobs with it. I'd go make some money with it while I was trying to sell it. So, and on a similar side of that, at the same time, I love fishing. It was something, I, it's a hobby of mine, probably my biggest hobby. 
I needed a boat, so I wanted a boat. I didn't have any idea how to necessarily operate a boat or work on a boat or how much boats should cost. So my brother and I started looking on, I don't even know if Craigslist was around. I think Craigslist was like early days at the time. We found a $1,500 boat, bass boat, up in like Rome, Georgia. So we tore out one night at 8 o'clock at night, went and bought this bass boat, and it was the most beautiful thing we'd ever seen. I mean, we couldn't believe we bought a trailer and a boat and a motor, and it worked, and it had the glitter paint. I mean, it was like for 1500 bucks, It was like score. And so we bought that, and we used that uh, for the winter fishing, and we figured out in March you could sell a boat for more than you paid for it. So we sold that $1,500 boat for 2800 We bought another one. On down the line to all of a sudden we've got a $15,000 boat that we've got $1,500 in. We just kept flipping and growing and we learned so much about boats and what to do and what not to do. And we had one boat in there. We never lost money. We had one boat in there we broke even on. Um, it was a bad purchase, but we were able to put some new seats in it and clean it up and at least get back to break even. We, we, we got kind of worried. You got a fixer-upper boat. Yeah, it was a fixer-upper boat. And it was, <laughs> but man, it was the fastest thing you've ever seen. It was called the Ricky Green Fishing Machine, and it would run about 100 miles an hour. It was awesome, but it was a piece of crap. So, uh, so that's kind of, you know, those are the early stages of, of that entrepreneurial spirit coming out in me, and it was a desire to learn and touch and do stuff and also get to a something I wanted and in the early stages of business for me it was kind of that same thing I wanted to learn I wanted to do something I wanted to occupy my time but it was also something I wanted and part of it this is weird I don't know why I felt this way but I felt un I would have something I would want so I would do a job to get the money to buy what I wanted but I also had a I had a fear of like losing my not losing my job, but like, what if tax went away? What if they passed fair tax? And I didn't have a job anymore. What if my income and, and accounting and tax went away? So when I started the construction side or I started the cleaning company side, especially the cleaning company, I distinctly remember a lot of the reason behind that was, okay, if I needed to, and I lost my job, I could go clean for my little cleaning company and make enough money to, to support myself. So it was almost like a backup plan. My first two or three businesses were like a backup plan behind what if something went wrong in my day job and I didn't get paid from it anymore. Okay, so you're constantly working on a plan B. And like you said, it's somewhat motivated by fear. So you're, you're getting pulled in two different directions. You're, you're a bit, excuse me, you're the same direction but by two different motivating factors. You're naturally a learner. You want to learn stuff. You want to develop yourself. I think it's one of the strengths that separates you from a lot of people is that you learn and implement. So a lot of people will learn and they learn. They just have knowledge and they don't do anything with it. You're a phenomenal implementer, so you're learning and executing, and which is why, which is funny, because you wouldn't typically think of an accountant being someone who is risky, but you're willing to drive up two or three hours away and buy a boat in the dark, and you won on it. You took a risk, took a took a gamble on yourself, and you won. But that's, I think that's the key I would figure out on the front end is it really wasn't a risk. Okay. Let's say it was a complete bust. I could sell the trailer for 300 
I could sell the motor for parts for about 450. I could probably get three or 400 for the boat. The troll motor was worth 200. So worst case scenario, let's say the boat was just, just complete junk. I paid 1500 for it. I could get out from under it for probably 1200 bucks. So, so you minimized your risk. You made sure you were taking a chance. Existed and I got it back to Athens. I could maybe lose three hundred at the most. Okay. So there was there were some risks, but I was pretty good at making sure those risks were on a really low level, even in those days. Which goes into to your ability to learn and implement. You, most people probably wouldn't calculate the risk like you did in regards to that. But you're being you're you're willing to learn and implement. So you're being pulled into you know doing different things because of just you as a person being motivated and wanting to learn and advance yourself from a skill set, but and also the the fear base something's pushing you. You're again like sure. hey, I'm concerned that what I do professionally will not last, and so I need to have other opportunities turn income, which has led to multiple things. Like you said, twenty plus things, and as you're actually talking about these things, you're probably adding to the count. You know, some people right. say, oh, you're flipping boats. That's kind of like a side side gig or side hustle. Sure. So what was the first, outside of the flipping the tractors, you're at the tax shelter, you got two accomplished business owners that you're working for, and at some point you work yourself into a partnership here. How, how did that work out? How'd you do that? That happened by two things. Um, number one, I, I made, just like in, in my side hustles, I would make really calculated business decisions or have really calculated ideas where I did do enough due diligence to mitigate the risk. I knew if I had an idea, I had mapped out what's the best case and what's the worst case and what's probably going to happen. That's just naturally my tendency before I got into it. So when I would present something to Ken and his dad, John, I would have all that laid out and they could see the the effort I'd put in on the front end and I had shown a lot of my work ethic on the back end. So there was some trust there to go do some things and to to engage in some things and it's, it started where in other things we were partners or we were going into uh, flipping houses or we're going into some rental houses as 50, 50 partners. And then that led to a secondary tax office and a third tax office. And it just kind of continued to grow um, back up a little bit. Ken's dad, John, this was a, a something that, that made a big difference in, in my clients and kind of gave me a little bit more cushion on the tax side is about three years into me working uh, in the tax business, uh, Ken's dad decided to retire. So I was able to inherit a pretty decent client list uh, from Ken's dad that he had built and grown and was no longer interested in servicing anymore um, as he wanted to kind of go off in retirement and do some different things. So both of those things uh, really allowed me uh, to build relationships and trust and, and things inside of the business and outside the business where it just it just continued to grow. And, and as the years have passed, we've just uh, continued to build on that and do things together. The reason I've been able to be a part of so many things is by far because of the business owners and the teams we have and everything we do. I'm able to do the things and pursue other things and be a part of other things because there's so many amazing people behind the scenes. My business partners, starting with Ken in the beginning, have supported and gave me the opportunity and taught me how to approach business and how to do more. And my business partners now that run the different businesses we're involved in and the teams and the staff behind it, everybody I work with, 
they are the ones that allow me to have the freedom to go out pursue these things and find other opportunities. And I'm just so grateful and thankful for all my business partners and all my team that are behind the scenes that allow me to be out and do the things that I do and engage in the things that I am. You show some guts too as you're starting, as you said. So Ken's dad is three years from retirement, really when you get started. Sure. And here you are, early 20s, pitching, pitching a business idea to two successful business owners about potentially funding an enterprise for your, that you guys could partner up with. Like most people probably aren't wanting to do that when they're 23, 24 years old. What do you think it was about you that led you to have that confidence or belief that they might say yes to this and help fund this entrepreneur adventure? I had a lot of confidence, but not because I was certain in what I could do. Or It wasn't anything really to do with me. I had just mapped out the research. I had done the work to see the clear path of what could and couldn't work and what the risks were. It wasn't anything I was gifted at or it wasn't some crazy confidence I had or it wasn't, trust me, I'll take us to the business promised land or whatever it may be. It was, okay, here's what I've got. I don't see any holes in this. I don't see how it could be outside of what I put on paper. I think we should do it. And that was really it. Um, it wasn't uh, some business knowledge I had or some confidence. I was just willing to research stuff and, and figure it out and, and, and read and take time. Whether I had nothing else to do with a lot of my spare time. So if I had to, to research something for two months, that was fine. I, it was entertaining to me. I was getting to learn and I was uh, had an opportunity to potentially make some money. So that was a, lot, a large piece of it there. Do you remember them saying no to any of your ideas? I don't think so. I'm like sure there was there there were some times, but yeah, I don't remember anything where they're like, no. I mean, again, we got in the used car business. We were going to car auctions in commerce. I was buying cars that one time I had the seat wasn't attached and the door wouldn't close. I had to use the hold the door while I drove a car back to Athens to keep from falling out and the door coming open. I mean, we're a bunch of accountants buying cars, so I don't think they told me no very often. They probably should have. Fast forward that in particular, that in particular vehicle, we, it was a 19, oh man, I, I could go to so many stories with this. It was a 1974 International Scout and it was rusted and it was in bad shape, but we fixed that thing up and we sold it for like 12 grand and we paid like $1,500 for it. And that got me into being interested in vintage cars and I still have Scouts to this day. All that started because one summer when I was in college, I'd done some cable work. My dad uh, at one point was in the cable business, um, and I had done some cable work randomly one summer for a couple weeks in Atlanta. I was at, there's a college there called Agnes Scott. I think it's a female college. I don't even know. Been there one time, that was it. And I saw a yellow International Scout parked there, and I was like, I don't even know what that is. I've never seen anything like it, but I want one. And fast forward to an auction in commerce, like four years later, one comes through the auction line. I didn't know anything. It was a piece of junk. It could have been worth nothing, but by God, I was buying it. And it was like the greatest thing I'd ever seen. And so uh, back to the question of did they ever tell me no, thinking about that and the stories behind that, probably not because, they, yeah, they should have, but I don't think they did. So when you're doing these businesses, you have Ken and John engaged and involved. So you have partners with what you're doing. Sure. How did you get into your first enterprise that you 100% owned yourself? 
Um, I don't know that I have a whole lot that I own by myself. Uh, I think I have partners in most everything I do. Uh, my brother and I got into flipping the boats together. I guess the kind of tractor venture was on my own. Um, you and I ended up in the cleaning business together. I started out in the cleaning company on my own, but it wasn't necessarily intentional. I'm a big fan of partners and partnerships. Uh, 99% of everything I do involves some sort of partner. And for me, I most people have different experiences, and I've had some very bad experiences with partners, but... I love partnerships. I love having other people involved. I don't like making all the decisions. I don't like everything falling on my shoulders. Um, I like to leave town. I like to do different things. I'm busy with my, especially during tax season, I can't operate another business on my own. Um, I need partners to help in the operations. I like partners to help make decisions. I I'm capable of making bad decisions just like everybody else and partners help weigh into that and help balance that out. I also love having partners uh, when things are a struggle and we're facing obstacles, partners make that better. You're going through it with somebody. You're helping kind of figure out the obstacles and ways around it. And when things are going really well, you have somebody to celebrate with. You have somebody to enjoy it. You have somebody you've built it with. Um, so a lot of the entrepreneurial adventure is is on an island by yourself. A lot of people don't understand entrepreneurs, and uh, it's just a different world. But if you have partners involved, it just makes everything better, in my opinion. Um, even I've had a couple of really bad experiences with partners, but I've won way more than I've lost with partners, and I'll continue to want to have partners in everything I do. Yeah, it's funny because I know Dave Ramsey – not a fan of partnerships at all. Sure. He speaks against it with lots of strength and emotion. And I'm, the, I'm with you. We, You and I have partnered up in multiple projects. Some that have gone, our cleaning business has gone phenomenally well, uh, which is awesome because we partnered up really like randomly over lunch with a handshake. On a handshake. We didn't even know. I mean, for me, it's so crazy. We didn't even know each other's like financial situations. We didn't have a plan. We shook hands and moved forward. And we were 50% partners in cleaning company. We merged two companies together and trekked forward. Yeah, not advice we would necessarily give anybody else. Like We yeah. didn't sit with attorneys or anything like that. We're just like, hey, let's just see what happens. If it doesn't work out, we can just part ways. Totally naive, but it worked out in our favor. <laughs> and we had other business partnerships with other people that some went well and we sold and made money and some didn't go so well. So it's kind of hit and miss. Yep. Partnerships, but I know for me too, I'm the same. I've been really fortunate to have some really solid and good partnerships. So I love this story, and I, this is the funny thing too, because I found out this story after you and I were business partners, probably for several years. But you, you and I believe Ken used to buy houses as well. That's via, right. Via options. Yeah. So tell us the story. The house you live in to this day, beautiful house, beautiful land. Just it's just a phenomenal place. If you follow Chad online, you'll see some pictures of his property. Tell us the story of you buying this property and how it led to you starting a business. Okay, so Ken and I, during the beginning of the recession, and this was the very beginning of the recession, um, had we known that, we'd probably done things a little different. Uh, but we got into buying foreclosures. And we'd go to the courthouse steps and try to buy property. Our model was we would buy property that was under foreclosure that had about 30% equity. And there were some challenges behind this uh, type of purchasing. You, 
He had other players involved at the courthouse steps. You had to have funds that day. Uh, so there was some some logistics we had to figure out and kind of hustle to get in place and work to build a relationship with other people. But we done all that, and we were buying some houses. And our model was we would buy these houses, we'd keep them for two years, and the economy would be back. We got 30% equity right now. We'll have like 50% equity in two years. Um, things were going to bounce back. It was going to be awesome. Fast forward, and we'll get to the house in a second, but fast forward, that didn't happen. We had to turn these into rentals, which we had a plan B in case it didn't. There was always that plan B uh, risk mitigated option we'd have in place. So the economy kept going down, you know, hit the real recession. Our 30% equity turned into zero equity. We would have a break even point with the houses, but we weren't upside down. So we just turned them to rentals and, and held them a lot longer than we had planned. But we were going to auctions. We were learning about real estate. I had no earthly idea what we were doing. Uh, I had no earthly idea how to flip houses or how to rent houses or be a landlord, but we were figuring it out. We were reading some stuff. We were learning as we go. And one auction in particular was downtown. I think, I think Sam Williamson owned a bar downtown at one point. And like once a month he would have auctions at night. This was like a random Tuesday night at eight o'clock. There was a house auction downtown. And so Ken and I had went and it's an environment where they were selling 20 or 25 houses and there was some people we knew there and there was a couple houses we were interested in depending on what they went for. And randomly this property came up for sale. So uh, it was, at the time it was 15 acres in Clark County and he started auctioning off and it wasn't on the list beforehand. Sometimes that happened. There'd be 15 properties on the list, but 20 may show up at auction. So nobody had researched it. There was no due diligence, but it was going for a really good price and nobody bid on it. And so after the auction, I went and talked to Sam and I said, Hey, tell me about this property. He said, it's in Clark County. It's really good property. Um, here's what I can sell it for, but I got to sell it tonight. It was December the 10th. He's like, I got to sell it tonight and it's got to close by the end of the year. And he's like, so there's no time to get financing. There's no time to do any research. Like, I got to tell him tonight, yes or no, and you got to close before the end of the year for, for their tax purpose reasons. And the land was like $70,000. And I said, I'll take it. And this was like nine fifteen at night. Never seen it. Never seen it. Barely know where it's at. I live in a trailer off of North Avenue. I may have eight grand to my name. Um, and so I'm like, done. I want it. And, and the whole time we're doing these houses and things, I was still living in a trailer on North Avenue, keeping my expenses really low, and um, really just trying to invest in business and in real estate and things. So so he calls them, done. We signed a contract right then. Bought it for 70 grand, got a close in the next two weeks with the holidays, and I get in the car, and I'm driving and I'm like, man, I got to figure out how to pay for this thing. So I call a client. Uh, there was an accounting client of mine at the time. And I said, hey, I got a very unique, huge favor to ask. And I'd had a good relationship with the client. Um, he was somewhat of a friend, but again, not we had never done any business deals or anything together. We just respected each other. And, and I knew he had a very successful business. I said, I need to borrow 70 grand for like four weeks. Can and this you, is like this is nine o'clock at thirty at night on a Tuesday night right before Christmas. And your accountant's calling you. Yeah. And I'm saying, hey man, I need to I need to borrow seventy grand. I was like, I'll pay you back seventy seven in four weeks. 
And so I made it kind of worth his while, and I told him the story, and he's like, all right, I'll bring a check by your office in the morning. And so he brought a check by in the morning. I went and looked at the property. Didn't know what I was going to do with it, but just knew it was a good deal. It was awesome property. Uh, it was bordered by a lot of land, so I'd done a little bit of hunting out there over the next year. And uh, fast forward a couple of years, I figured out, hey, this is, I really like this property. It's close to everything, but it's private. I think I want to build out here. And then I kind of started going down the road of figuring out the building process, which is a whole nother story. So you decide you're going to build this house. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're an accountant. You already told us you know how to mitigate risk. You, you don't know how to build houses, right? Absolutely not. Okay. So what, what happens next? So I decided I want to build a house. I talked to my banker and said, hey, I need a builder. Can you give, A, can you do a construction loan? And B, can you find me a builder? He said, yeah, here's three builders. I said, here's their contact information. Here's what we can do on the construction loan. And so I interviewed the three builders, and I just came away just blown away at this model of how they do business. So two of the builders were the same. They said, all right, we see your plans you want to do here. We'll do it. We're going to do it for $200,000. And I'm like, all right, what about the numbers or the breakdown or everything else involved? They're like, nope, you sign here. You come back five months later, you got a house for 200 grand. I'm like, that's it. I don't, they're like, that's it. And I'm like, that is a terrible option for me. You're motivated to put the cheapest crap you can get away with in my house because the cheaper stuff you can build my house with, the more profit you have. I was like, I do not like this at all. And so the third builder sat down and met with him. And he said, all right, yep, looks good. I do it for a cost plus 15%. And I was like, yeah, I don't really like that either. You have no motivation to like negotiate with the plumber to get a cheaper price or to find help me find cheaper selections for materials because the more I spend on stuff or the more a subcontractor charges, the more you make. So I just was was not happy with any of the options I've been presented and just thought they were just a bad business decision for me to engage in either one of these options. So I said, forget this. I think I can do this on my own. No, absolutely no knowledge there. Never built a house, never really been around construction. Um, so I started, side story, my dad, when he was younger, my granddad had been in construction on his side. My granddad died when I was on that side, really young, never never uh, like experienced anything outside of like five years old. My dad had been in construction with him in the early days. So my dad has some construction knowledge, but I'd never asking questions about it or been a part of it. So I was didn't have a whole lot going on at the time. I was single at the time. Uh, we had uh, Barnes and Nobles and Borders here in Athens, and they both had little coffee shops in them. So for four months, I went to Barnes and Noble or, or um, Borders every night, and I read building books for four hours. Like didn't buy them. I'd just go in there, sit and drink coffee and read them. And they had a whole section of like construction and building. So in four months, I learned how to, took notes, took copies of little spreadsheets in there they have in the books, and I figured out how to build a house on paper. And then I found a contact that was a lumber salesman, and he had a lot of knowledge, and he took me to some job sites where people were building houses, and I met some people and got some contacts and decided to build my own house. And so fast forward, I built my own house. It was a stressful mess, but it worked and it went well and I saved a lot of money versus what 
I was being told from the builder side. And, and so then I'm done and I'm very happy with the products, the house I still live in now. It's on this land that I bought then. Um, my wife and I still live there now and, and love it out there. And then I had this knowledge of, I'd been through the process and I had learned from my mistakes and I had an education and experience in building a house. So then I decided, why would I just throw that away? Let's, let's do another one or let's build for a client or let's build for a friend. And then that changed into a commercial building a client wanted me to build for them. And before I, I had no intention of really being in the construction business. It was just kind of a side gig of something I was trying to make a little money on my knowledge and experience. And then the next thing you know, we were working 365 days a year in construction. And I had nine different people as part of our team and without knowing or trying to develop into a full-blown business. And that's kind of how that came about. Which is crazy because some people go into wanting to build their own house and figuring it out and doing that. But I don't know anybody else who's like, yeah, I built my own house. And then I just decided to launch my own house building company because of it. So crazy story again. It shows for you how you just pursue learning and knowledge and you're willing to take calculated risk to do things, which is, I think, served you extremely well. So from that point on, you got a construction company, you're a partner at the tax shelter, you're, you're just growing your business portfolio, you're succeeding, you're winning somewhere along in that time period, you and I partner up. You've had a lot of business successes, 20 something businesses. Again, not all of those are successes, we understand, but sure. more successes than failures. And you're at this point where you're roughly 40 years old and figuring out like, well, what's next, right? So you've had a lot of success. You've gone on, you know, been able to finance a good lifestyle, go on some great trips. You're very respected in your community. You stand out for your profession on the accounting side because people don't expect their accountant to be this serial entrepreneur. And again, which has led to this social media moniker, serial CFO, because you, in a lot of these companies too, you stay in your lane. You know what you're good at. You offer your strengths and that's what you, you handle being the CFO and handling the money. But what's, what's next, man? What's the future hold for you? What does your entrepreneur adventure go forth now? Because I, I feel like now you're at this point where you've accumulated a ridiculous amount of knowledge, several different industries, several different, different trades. You can make a huge impact. I appreciate that. I, I hope that's the case. Um, that, that is my goal to make an impact. And I'm just geared to want to grow and to want to work and to want to continue to learn things. It's um, Again, I'm just so grateful and thankful for having the the personality that craves that because it's just how I'm wired. And, and that that gives me uh, the opportunity for all these things to come easier than they do for some people. And, and it's just sheer luck. It's nothing I, I don't think I've developed or I have earned. It's just the way I, I'm wired and, and part of my personality, which is definitely a benefit to me. Um, you know, you talk about what's next and that's something that right now I own seven businesses. I'm very happy with what I have. Um, I, financially I'm in a great place. I don't want to own anything else. Um, I, I want to, all seven businesses are profitable. All seven businesses are operating, uh, mostly with partners and with teams and staff of awesome people that run the day to day. I stay on my lane. I'm kind of the 30,000 foot view, the systems, the financial side, Continue to learn a lot, uh, especially one of the new businesses that I've engaged in here over the last year. But I don't want to own any, any other businesses right now. I don't want to grow a portfolio of different things or investments. Um, two months ago, I didn't really know what was next. Next for me was just continuing to manage and build 
that side of these businesses and continue to grow my day job, my career of education is, is here at the tax shelter, you know, in the accounting and the tax side and continue to manage my workload and being a better leader and manager in, inside of the office and, and just grow all the businesses and the people around them. But about two months ago, that changed. Um, I went to a business conference. We talked about that on a previous podcast and my eyes were opened. Um, I think I told you, uh, I've experienced a lot. I've been very fortunate in my life to be able to do things and take risk and travel and grow businesses and succeed and fail and just get a lot of fulfillment out of everything I've done and, and the people I'm involved with and friends and everything from business to social to traveling to relationships to the love my wife and I have each other. If I'd have found out I was dying tomorrow, uh, back two months ago, I'd have been like, man, I've had an awesome life. I've done more in 39 years than most people get to do in their whole life. I'm good with this. I went to a business conference two months ago and I come away completely different. Like I felt like I got so much more to give and so much more I want to do and my eyes have been opened up. I clearly see what I want to do now, which is kind of behind this Instagram and the serial CFO, all that started because of this conference, like on a on an active implemented scale. Um, I talked about it before when we talked about podcasts, but that kind of put fuel on the fire. I want to take my knowledge and experience in accounting and tax and business and I want to take it on a lot more of a uh, mass scale. I have a lot of knowledge. I have a lot of experience through what I've done, but I've also been exposed to, I have 400 business clients that I've been a part of uh, on some level for 15 or 20 years. I've had my own successes and failures, and I've got to see clients that succeeded and failed in different areas, not just financially, but in how they run their business and getting hands-on with helping them on their business. So. I have built, uh, just through what I do, a tremendous amount of knowledge and experience. And instead of sharing that one-on-one in my office with an entrepreneur or a business owner, I can share that on a much larger platform through social media. And my ultimate goal is to do it on stage. Um, This three-day business conference, like that is what I want to do. I want to get on stage. I want to be paid to speak. I want to speak to thousands of people and have a message that they can come back and impact their business and their community and their team and their employees. And they can be better leaders. They can be better business owners. They can make more money. That is where I clearly see I want to go. It may take me two years to get there. It may take me 12 years to get there. I don't know how this is going to take, but I want to build a brand and a message around social media and product and speaking. And I also want to continue to do what I do day to day. I have the knowledge. I have 20 years of prepping for this. I can still do my day job and do this one day a month or two days a month or do it at night on Instagram or, or, or Facebook or whatever it may be or a website. So I want to manage what I have now. I want to keep the clients and the workload and the businesses I have now. And I want to grow uh, a platform around where I can impact a lot of people and, and guide a lot of people in business and finance and, and things of that nature. So two questions in one here. All the experiences you've had, what do you feel like has been your best moment in business? And then as you're talking about what the future holds, what do you hope for? Like, what do you hope is the next best moment in business? The aspirational, like, this is the moment where I'm going to feel a certain way and I'm going to look back to this this conference and I do this was it. Like, I made a decision. This is the moment. What's that moment going to look like? So what's the best moment you've had in your career so far in business? And then what's that best moment going to look like in the future, whether it's two years or 12 years from now? 
So there's pros and cons to being a numbers guy and being in the black and white of numbers and the counting side. The, the pros are it allows me to operate a lot without emotion. I make business decisions based on numbers. I guide customers based on numbers. I don't get emotional. I don't make emotional business decisions, which makes me a very disciplined business owner and investor and entrepreneur. But it also puts me in a position where I don't really take the time to say, this is my best business moment, or this is my most exciting thing I've ever done. Um, I was just as excited to buy a $1,500 boat and sell it for $2,800 as I was to to grow and sell a business for for six figures or, or whatever it may be. It's Whether it's small or big, I just enjoy the journey. Um, what I think is my biggest accomplishment, man, I wouldn't have said this at the time. Boy, I was bitter and upset and didn't know how I was going to get my way out of it. Um, I got involved in a bad partnership. It was probably right after my wife and I met, probably 10 years ago. Um, a bad partnership. We grew a business way too fast. Uh, he uh, had some substance abuse issues, turned out to be a really bad partner, really screwed up the business and the credit cards and things. Um, he stepped out within like a week period, filed bankruptcy and ran off. And I was left with a business with things going on without the time to deal with it and about $126,000 of immediate debt. $40,000 credit card, um, some vendor accounts. He had falsified my signature on some accounts, so we owed money on. Um, he had bought some things on his house on the business card. He bought his wife's engagement ring um, through a business credit account. So I was also handed uh, $126,000 in debt uh, and this business to figure out. And I had to really like grind and hustle and over about a 18 to 24 month period utilize that business and other stuff i was able to get out of all that pay all that debt off in full didn't walk away from anything he filed bankruptcy walked away from it all don't think i've spoke to him since then um but really i was able to it was hard. We didn't, my wife and I didn't go on vacation that year. We didn't leave town that July I had projects going on. Um, I took on way more risk than I should have. Things had to go perfect for this to happen. I, I let myself do things that ordinarily as a disciplined investor or business owner, I would not have done, but I grinded, I figured it out. Things worked out. So I was able to, I was able to get dealt a really crappy hand and come out of it. $126,000 clean without screwing anybody over in 18 to 24 months. And that's, while at the time I thought it was the worst thing that had ever happened to me, um, looking back on it, I feel the most accomplished by that than anything I've ever done. And it taught me so much about partnerships and people and growing things. And, and I learned a lot of lessons from that. Um, moving forward, what do I think is, this is a very long-winded answer, sorry. Um, Moving forward, what do I want? Uh, what do I see as a big accomplishment or something that kind of really excites me? Kind of back to what I'm focusing on right now. For me, I think the next moment I'll really celebrate or really like feel huge for me is, 
and I, this is random. I'm, again, I'm a numbers guy. I come up with these random things, and I chase after them, but they're just numbers on paper. They have no other meaning, um, but that's what motivates me. That's how I, how I approach things. When I'm paid $10,000 to go speak somewhere, that's like the next. Okay. That's that's my, that's what I've drew on the wall. That's that's what I'm pursuing right now, along with managing, keeping, and everything else going. I, I want to keep everything functioning, growing, and doing what I do. But I think when I get to a point where somebody writes me a ten thousand dollar check to go somewhere and step on a stage and speak, that's like okay, I've made it into what I want to do from a kind of sideline of speaking, sharing uh, what I've learned in my experience. Dude, that's awesome. And that means I'm providing a ton of value and I'm making a difference to a lot of people and I've proven myself in that world. Um, now I know a lot of people get paid 50, 75, 100 grand to go speak somewhere, and it, but there's also people to get paid nothing and two grand. So for some reason, $10,000 to go speak somewhere is like, I don't know if I'm speaking for an hour or 10 hours, but that's it. That's what I, that's what I want to do. I spoke in my staff meeting this morning. None of my employees gave me anything. <laughs> It just looked at me weird. It was awesome, dude. That's awesome. But you know, you're you're. It's not the ten thousand dollars that you want or need. It's the recognition of value you delivered. That's worth a significant amount of money, right? Right. You hear the story of Jim Carrey when he's nothing, writing himself a check for a million dollars. You know, that's an awesome story, right? Rachel Hollis, who I know you went to her conference, same thing where she wrote that she wanted to be a New York Times bestseller. These things people write that just, it's not what it is that they write down as the benchmark. It's what they become along the way, what they have to, how much better they have to get to, in order to offer value to people so they can get paid that significant amount or have that significant achievement, whatever it may be. So wrapping up, people will listen to this episode that are seasoned entrepreneurs, been around for a little bit. There will also be people listening that they're, they're solopreneurs right now. Maybe they haven't even started the business yet. They're, they're just thinking about thinking about it. What advice, counsel, book to read maybe? Like what what could you give to our early entrepreneurs for their end but and also for our seasoned entrepreneurs? What advice or counsel or, or book reference could you give to them? It's like this is where you're gonna to wanna to go and gather some knowledge or some inspiration. So I'm gonna I'm gonna work on both sides of that spectrum of the early entrepreneur and then also the seasoned entrepreneur, the very successful business owner that just sold a business. Um what I, the advice I would give from books or podcasts is anything you can get your hands on to read. I have never read a business book, an entrepreneurial book. I've never read any book related to business or, or, or even self-improvement that I didn't find value in. I took something away from every book I've ever read involving business. And there's some better than others, but just start reading books and start learning from podcasts and books. It will change your life. It will change your business. Um, There's a hundred I could recommend. You can go to my serial CFO page. There's five or or 10 there I recommend that have had the most impact for me. Podcast and books. I got two different posts on there that, that you can check out. But the advice I would give would be to the early entrepreneur so many people do not spend the time doing due diligence. It kind of goes back to what made me successful and what made people trust me and what made me a good business partner is if you're going to engage in something, if you're going to start a business, if you're going to grow your business, spend a tremendous amount of time getting your hands on every possible piece of information you can, no matter how long it takes. You're about to spend your whole life trying to do this potentially. You're about to spend all the money you have Get all the pieces of advice, which are free, and do all your due diligence and map out 
what you think is going to happen, what's the best case, and what's the worst case. And if you do that and you step into it and you're okay with either of those three scenarios, you can't lose. You know if the worst case happens, you're fine. If the best case happens, what you're going to do, and if what you expect happens, that is the advice I would give whether you're buying a rental house, whether you're starting a restaurant, whether you're going into a consulting business, whether you are going to get a whatever it may be, um, whether you're buying a tractor online, um, anything from business to investment, if you map out those scenarios and you know your path and you're good with either of those three, you're good. You cannot lose. And that takes the risk out of being an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs associated with risk hear these stories about people living in their car and then being worth millions of dollars. There's a lot more people that were living in their car that are on crack now. <laughs> um, uh, there's a reason 80% of businesses fail. People don't do their research and their due diligence. Um, uh, you learn a lot along the way. You don't have to go broke to do what you want to take risk to do it. That would be my advice. On the other side, these, and this is something I have learned here in the last two years, um, for the successful business owner, for the person looking for the next thing to do, they're looking to go from business on an entrepreneur, they just sold a business and they're investing in something else. This is... This was just a huge revelation for me. You can't throw money at anything and make it successful. I can't start a business and throw 200 grand at it and make it win. I can't invest 200 grand in somebody else's business and make it win. I can't throw 20 grand into marketing and this business win. It takes the freaking time and hard work. What has made you a successful business owner? What have you done to sell your business? You've worked in it for 20 years. You've done it every day for 10 years. That is the formula that works. No matter how good you were, how much you sold your business for, it doesn't matter. You have experience, you have knowledge. You can't throw money at it because you've been a successful business owner and the next idea work. The only way it's gonna work is if you take your experience and your work ethic and you put it in there every day. Then it's gonna work. It will succeed every time if you put work and effort and knowledge and experience into it. It will not work if you throw money at it or if you throw money at somebody that don't know what they're doing in that business. So that's my advice. That's what I've learned in as I've got into other businesses and what's made me money and what's lost me money. Um, but that's the two biggest pieces of advice I, could, I would give somebody on both ends of that spectrum. Man, that's so awesome. Because you're right. When you're getting started, the things that make you successful in business you learn through this experience, and then when you actually get a little bit of money, it's so much easier just to be like, oh, I'll just, we'll pay for this and that, and you forsake the experience. Like, the reason that you became successful is because you did these certain things. Sometimes yeah. when you have money, you just think money will just solve it for you. I said, man, what great advice for the seasoned entrepreneur to do the things that made you, made you successful in the first place. Money's not a shortcut. That's right. It worked for you. Just do it all again. You can't throw money at it and not put in the time and effort and work. It's just not going to happen. Dude, awesome. Man, I always enjoy sitting down and talking to you. Again, we've been business partners for several years now. It's just always fun. There's so much experience, knowledge, wisdom you have you're able to share with us today. Thanks so much for doing that, for taking some time. I know you're a busy guy. All the all the business, only seven businesses. Really, you know, you're slumming these days with only seven businesses going on but tell people again where they can find you online where they can reach out and ask any questions and uh, see what you're putting out there sure absolutely uh on instagram or facebook it's serial cfo um put some posts out there for business tips and financial tips um 
email uh, here at the office, chat at thetaxshelter.com. Um, shoot me an email or stop by or, or call the office anytime. I'm always happy to provide information or guide or give my opinion, um, uh, you know, and, and kind of help however I can. Awesome. Well, guys, I'm glad you got a chance to hear from Chad today talk about his entrepreneur adventure. He will be reestablished in our next episode as a co-host, not just a guest. But thanks so much for your time, Chad. Until next time, have fun on your entrepreneur adventure. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Entrepreneur Adventure. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please be sure to like and subscribe to The Entrepreneur Adventure wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check us out on the web at www.theentrepreneuradventure.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram as well. And remember, The Entrepreneur Adventure does not have to be traveled alone, but is a journey to be shared. We'll catch you next time on Entrepreneur Adventure, where we give you the tools to climb higher and faster than ever before.